0: Good evening and welcome back. Seems like everyone's still having a good time, yes? Snaps? All right. All right, let's jump in to our text for tonight, which can be found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, sword drill. Nice. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and we are going to read... This entire chapter, because it's a story that we're hearing in this passage for tonight from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. This is God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, please join me in prayer. Father, tonight we need you. We need you to speak through your word to our hearts. We need you to save and rescue. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to heal us. We need you to restore us. And we know that you do all these things through your word because it announces what you have done in the gospel through Jesus to make us new and to restore us to yourself. So we pray that you would do that work tonight. We pray that you would teach us that your word would find humble and willing hearts and that we would live as your people in the world. We pray for these things in Jesus name. Amen. Many years ago, my wife and I used to take regular mission trips to Honduras. And we would go to this same boy's orphanage in order to serve at this orphanage. And the man who ran this orphanage was a gentleman by the name of Don Roberto. And Don Roberto used to go out into the the place where he lived and he would find children who were in the most unimaginable circumstances, extreme poverty, children who were left for dead, children who had so many problems and so much suffering that they had experienced. They were were racked with problems. They were facing trauma, and they were going through all kinds of hard times. And Don Roberto would bring these children into the orphanage, and he would care for them. He would give them food and clothing. He would give them education. He would give them work to do on the orphanage. And as we spent more time at this orphanage, we began to notice a difference between the boys who had been there for a long time and the boys who were new to the orphanage. And we noticed after talking with Don Roberto that the boys who had been there for a long time, even though they had come in with significant problems, even though they had lots of hardship and challenges in their lives, once they had adjusted to Don Roberto's fatherly care, it changed everything for them. And the boys who struggled the most were the boys who had not yet adjusted to Don Roberto's fatherly care. They still treated him like the the boss of the orphanage, not like a father figure over the orphanage. And it has struck me all these years later, ever since, I've always been reminded of the power of what we experienced at that orphanage. I've always been struck by the reality that these boys had their lives completely altered by fatherly love. And the more that the boys adjusted to the fatherly love of Don Roberto, the more they showed brotherly love to one another. It is a powerful thing to experience welcome in unexpected ways. And that's exactly what those boys experienced from Don Roberto. But more importantly tonight for us is this. That this is exactly what we as God's people experience from him. Many people relate to God as employee to employer. They relate to God as the boss and god is authoritative god does have authority but the more powerful and more regular image that we get in the scriptures to describe god is that god is father and one of the consistent messages of the scriptures is that the fatherly love of god is what transforms our lives And tonight, as we take the next step in our discussion of peace with God and peace with one another, reconciliation, I want you to stick in your head today that the the main way that you will progress in living reconciled life and living in peace with the people around you, especially the family of God, is through the fatherly love of God. In other words, if you want to grow in brotherly love, you must come to know and appreciate and digest the fatherly love of God. And so tonight, we're going to think more deeply about the fatherly love of God by looking at the story of sons. And we're going to approach this text through two points, where we see the lost sons and the loving son. The lost sons and the loving son. So let's look at our first point, the lost sons. In verses 1 through 2, listen, this is one of the most famous parables that we have. It's one of the most beloved parables that we have. The story of the prodigal sons. And one of the things that is often overlooked is the context in which this parable was given by Jesus. We're told in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus was speaking to a particular crowd And if you look at the text, you'll see this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, by sinners, we're talking about everyone who was outside of the religious establishment. These were people who worked jobs that did not align with the law of God. They lived morally bad lives. Sinners. But the tax collectors, they are another group. Because here's the deal. They were people who gathered taxes from their Jewish counterparts to pay to Rome. Rome ruled everything at this time. And so they, they would get certain people to be tax collectors. And here's the deal. The Romans never told the tax collectors, how much money they were going to collect. And so the tax collectors would take as much money as they could from their Jewish counterparts, and whatever they were asked to pay to Rome, they paid. But then they kept the rest. And most of the time, tax collectors ended up growing rich off of the backs of their fellow countrymen. And so they were despised by their fellow countrymen, that they got rich off of the back of their people. These were were outcast people, the sinners and tax collectors. They were not part of the inside group, the religious establishment. And in response to the gathering that is before him, Jesus begins to tell a series of parables. And what you have to appreciate about Jesus is that the stories that he tells, these parables that he tells, are directly aimed at The diversity of those who had gathered there before him. He is going to preach good news to the sinners and tax collectors. But he's also going to preach good news to the Pharisees. And he begins to tell one parable that has three parts. And the first part is about lost sheep. And in each story, there is a search for what is lost. Why? because it's of such great value to the one searching. That's an important part of this story. In the first part of the story, we see a lost sheep. And shepherding was common imagery at the time, and shepherds always worked together with their respective flocks. And Jesus asked a question, which shepherd, if he had one lost sheep, wouldn't leave the 99 with his other fellow shepherds and go off and search for that one sheep? And when he found that sheep throw it over his shoulders and come back rejoicing. Now, what would the other shepherds do once this man returned with his lost sheep? His friends, what would true friends do? They would rejoice with the shepherd who had found his lost sheep. And the point that Jesus makes is, and so do all the friends of God rejoice with him when he retrieves one sinner That was lost to him. All of heaven rejoices. And then he moves on to the second part of this parable. And he says in this part that a woman loses a coin. And this coin represents 10% of her meager resources. And after searching for the coin, she finds it. And she rejoices. And she gathers her friends together to rejoice with her. That what she had lost, she now had found, and her friends, what would you expect them to do? Rejoice with her. And the point that Jesus makes, and so do all those who are friends with God rejoice when God retrieves one sinner who was lost to him. The imagery, can you imagine all of heaven erupting like it was a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth to win the World Series over one sinner who is found? And what Jesus is doing, y'all, do you see it? Jesus is signaling to the sinners and the tax collectors that they are valuable to God. Everything they had ever heard from religious people was that they weren't good enough, and they had to clean up their act, and they had to start obeying the law, and they had to get their lives together in order to get in. But here Jesus is telling them, That they are valuable to God. All those who are lost to God are valuable to him. Yes, even sinners and tax collectors. There very well may have been an audible gasp. As this this truth began to dawn on these sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees were angry and frustrated about this message. But here's the important thing as Jesus turns the corner to get into the the story of the two sons. The important thing we need to appreciate is this. We like to beat up on Pharisees, don't we? They're just a Pharisee. And if you're not familiar with this language, a Pharisee is someone who does the right moral and religious thing all the time. They're respectable people. They take care of their business. They pay their taxes. They're They're decent folk. They're they're folk that are looked up to in the community. And it's people who think that by doing good things and by their performance, that they somehow have impressed God and have earned his favor over their lives. And in Christian circles, we like to beat up on Pharisees. We like to call people who are digging in on us too hard. They're just a Pharisee. But what you need to see is this. Even Jesus doesn't despise the Pharisee. And Jesus knows that the Pharisee needs the same thing that the sinners and the tax collectors need. And that is the compassion of God. That's what cures a Pharisee. That's what heals a Pharisee. And when he turns the corner to the two sons, Jesus is going to give the subtle message that even the Pharisees are welcome to come home. Yes, sinners and tax collectors are surprisingly invited to come home, but even the Pharisees are invited to come home. And that brings us to the next part of the parable in verses 11 through 32. And Jesus here comes to his final and climactic story. And we need to remember that he's aiming at this mixed crowd of sinners, tax collectors, and Pharisees. And he wants all of them to repent. And if that word sounds old and dusty to you, repentance is coming home to God. Repentance is turning from all of the things that you think will make you happy apart from God, money, uh, material items, certain relationships that you would like to have, It's turning from those things as your ultimate source of joy and coming home to God. That's what Jesus' ministry is all about. And this parable is a famous parable. And what's often the case is that people misunderstand this parable. How many of you have ever heard this parable called the parable of the prodigal son? Okay. What you have to notice is that in this passage, Jesus tells us that there was a man who had how many sons? Two sons. This is a story about two sons. And ultimately, here's the deal. When you follow the story of the two sons, it will ultimately lead you to another son. All right? That's the, that's the, uh, the teaser for where we're going here. But this man has two sons. And Jesus is going to help us through this parable to see that In the two sons are represented two different ways of being lost. Two different ways of being far away from the father. And the first son gives us the first picture. And this son one day comes to his father and he asks his father for his share of the inheritance. And because there are two sons, the way that it worked, the custom of the day, was that the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance. And then any other sons that were left over would split up one-third. But here we only have two sons. So this younger son asked for his share of the inheritance, one-third of his father's estate. And it was common understanding at the time that this was an extremely disrespectful thing for a son to do. It was extremely disrespectful. It was frowned upon by Jewish rabbis at the time. This is not something that ought to be done. It's shocking. But even more shocking is the fact that the father gives him what he asked for without any argument. And the text tells us that this son gathered up his things and then he goes off, the text says, to a far off country. And I want you to mark that language, far off country. Because this was the same language that was used to describe Israel when they were in exile in Babylon and Assyria, that they were in a far-off country. They were far from home. And every one of the listeners at the time would have understood the far-off country to be a bad place, to be a place of sadness, to be a place of fear, to be a place of scarcity, to be a place of bondage. But this son goes off into the far off country, the text tells us, and he squanders his wealth in reckless living. This son is having the time of his life. He's going to all the clubs. He's dancing. He's buying drinks for everybody. He is the life of the party. He's trying to get all the kicks he can get. And he's having the time of his life for a little while. For a little while. Because the text tells us that pretty soon the money runs out. The money runs out. And the text tells us that soon this younger son finds himself in the middle of a famine. And it's no, it's no accident that Jesus shows us a connection between the far off country and famine. Famine. This is not a place of flourishing. This is not a place of true, deep, lasting happiness. This is a land of famine because it's a land that exhibits farness from the Father. And things in this younger son's life spiral. They spiral so much so that pretty soon he is in a point of desperation where he has to go and ask a man for help in working for him and feeding his pigs. Now, hopefully you have enough of an appreciation to know that nothing could be worse for a Jewish person than to be around pigs. They were filthy animals to the Jews and made you unclean. And at this point, this this younger son is in a far off country, a land of famine, sadness, unhappiness. And not only that, but now he's in a situation of uncleanness. And the text tells us that he is in such a dire state that he's longing to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. you got to be in a bad situation when your desires are the same as what pigs are, are eating. This is the picture of this younger son. This younger son could not be lower. And the tax collectors and sinners are now starting to connect the dots, y'all, because Jesus is shining a light on their situation. But he's doing this in order to offer them hope. You know, anytime Jesus shines a light on the things that are wrong in your life, he does so in order to offer you hope. He does so in order to give you something better than what it is you are longing for right now. Imagine being one of the sinners and tax collectors. All you've ever known is rejection from the religious people that you've seen around the way. All you've ever known is being pushed to the margins, never feeling like you could actually get close to God. And then here comes Jesus talking about a story of a son who at rock bottom begins to find hope and has the understanding that he can return home. Some of the most beautiful and powerful words of the text come in verses 17 through 19. Look at the text. But when he came to himself. When he came to himself. It's as if this younger son has awakened from this stupor. Like he was sleeping all this time and then he, he awakens to the most powerful hope-giving reality. He can come home. He can go home to his father. Now, his view of his father is not right, but even the bare minimum understanding that he can come home to his father is enough to ignite hope in this story, and it's enough to ignite hope among the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus is telling them, you can come home. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how far off in the far country you have been. It doesn't matter if you've squandered every good gift that has been yours up to this point. It doesn't matter if you're unclean and stinking like the pigs. You can come home to the father. And so this younger son comes to his senses and he says, I will go home to my father. And he starts to get his speech together because this younger son knows what the rules of the day are. You know what the rules of the day were? If you brought shame on the family, you have to remember that this younger son, in asking for his share of the inheritance, asking for that now from his father, he would have brought shame on his whole family, shame on his father, shame on his older brother, shame on his relatives. And there would have been an expectation of what this younger son was supposed to do when he got home. And that expectation was that he would make restitution for the wrong that he had done. In other words, the expectation was that he would pay back for the wrong that he had done. And he would do so by being a servant. And so he starts preparing his speech. And you know what's going on in this younger son's mind? You know what he imagines the father to be like? Do you know what he thinks he's going to experience when he gets to the father? Oh, you're back now, huh? Yeah, yeah, looking real good, buddy. Woo, you stink too. Do you know what kind of shame you've brought on this family? Do you know what kind of heartache you've brought to us? Do you know what kind of ridicule and mockery you have brought to this family? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, bearing your face here again. What makes you think you have any, any desserts coming back to us? That's what he's he's expecting his father to be like. And that's what many people that you go to school with, that's what many of your friends think God is like, and that's one of the reasons why they're so afraid to even come back to church, because they think that that's what God is like, that God has his arms folded, and he's tapping his foot, And he has a look on his face as if to say, don't you even dare try to step foot in this church before you get your act together. But what we're going to see is that this younger son's expectations could not be further from the truth. Because the good news coming in this passage shows up in verses 20 through 24. This is to the shock of everyone listening to these words. Listen. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And here is where we would hear the audible gasp from the sinners and tax collectors Because they would be thinking, where could I find a father like this? Where could I find a father who would welcome me home after committing such acts? Where could I find a father who would be looking for me when I was far away Where could I find a father who would embrace me stinking and smelling like a pig pen? Where could I find a father who would reinstate me into the family by putting a ring on my finger and a robe on me and shoes on my feet? Where could I find a father like this? And Jesus is saying, you can find that father in my father. That's what my father is like. My father welcomes people like this. My father rolls out the red carpet for broken sinners like you. And that is absolutely jarring. And you know what? The Father has never stopped being this way, y'all. He is that way toward us today. He has a heart big enough to forgive you. His arms are long enough to enfold you. And his kingdom is wide enough to employ you. But in the story, we see that younger sons aren't the only ones that need to be rescued. Look at the older brother. We find the older brother in verses 25 through 28. Where do we find him? We find him out in the field, hard at work, doing what he was supposed to be doing, picking up the slack for all that was laid on him when his younger brother rolled out. He's doing what a son is supposed to be doing. He's taking care of his business. He's following the rules. He's helping his father like he knows he's supposed to be doing. He's a rule keeper. But what we're going to see is that he is every bit as lost as the younger son. He is as, even though he's never left home, he is as far from the father as the younger son is. Because... As he's out in the field doing his work, he hears the sound of a party going on. And he calls one of the servants. He says, what's going on back home? And they say, you haven't heard? Your younger brother has returned. And your father is throwing a party and celebrating. And he even got a fatted calf and killed it. And where everybody's feasting. And this enrages the older brother. The fatty, he killed a fatted calf for this low-down, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. I've been here taking care of business all these all these years. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I've been following the rules. I've been going to Bible study. I've been attending church. I've been coming to RYM. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing to live a nice Christian life. But here we see the heart of the Older son exposed. We see what's really going on. Because he doesn't really love the father. He just loves the idea of having the father's stuff. He doesn't love the father. But here's the powerful thing, y'all. Here's the powerful thing. Look at verse 28. When it comes to the younger son, the father has been looking for him and he runs toward him, he goes out to meet the younger son. And in verse 28, the father goes out again, this time to a son who never physically left, but was alienated all the same. The text says his father came out and entreated him. Entreating is like pleading with, begging with. And do you see the message that Jesus is giving to the Pharisees at this point? Listen, if you're a good religious kid, if you read your Bible and you go to church and you do all of the right things, it is still possible that your heart is far from the Father. Now, you shouldn't stop reading your Bible, and you shouldn't stop going to church, and you shouldn't stop paying attention to the things you're supposed to be doing, but you must understand that those things are not a means of getting close to the Father. Those things can be done in a performative way where you're just putting on an act, just like an actor on a stage, and all the world is your stage, and you pretend before everybody, all the while, your heart is far from God, and that's why Jesus would later call the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, Because they're pretty on the outside but dead on the inside. And that is possible for those of us who have grown up in the church and who have been around the preaching of the Bible and and Christian stuff. We see now the two stark ways of being lost. You can be lost by being a wild person running away from God out there. And you can be lost by being a goody two-shoes in here. You can be lost because of your badness. And you can be lost because of your goodness. If you are using your goodness as a way to try and impress God, to try and gain his favor, favor. If you're trying to use your good deeds to say to God, now look, you owe me something, God. You owe me getting into the right college. You owe me being able to get into that relationship I want. You owe me that car that I wanted. You owe me the things that I'm after. If... If you're only interested in doing the right thing so you can get the things you want from God, then it's not God that you want. It's just his stuff. There are two ways of being lost, but in this text we see there's one way to be found. These two sons, the story of the two sons, are meant to lead us to the loving son, which brings us to our final point, the loving son. Jesus tells this story of two sons to show us what the father has done To recover both types of sons. Because these sons are just representative. But God has done something in His beloved Son in order to recover His lost sons and daughters. This is all about the, the fatherly love of God. And the most profound demonstration of the fatherly love of God was in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that all of the actions of the Father in this text? Find their fullest expression in the life and ministry and cross and resurrection of Jesus? Do you see it? The search of the Father finds its fulfillment in Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. The welcome of the Father comes in the life of Jesus, who welcomes sinners and outcasts. The grace of the Father, the covering of the Father, the appeal of the Father, the celebration of the Father, they all find their fulfillment. In Jesus Christ. And so tonight this is what the text is saying to us. Whether you're off in the far country. Or you're lost back home. The call of the text. Is to come home to the father's love. And when you come home to the father's love. When you return to his love. Well then you become the kind of person who grows in brotherly love. When you realize oh, it's only the love of a father that can help you to grow in loving your brothers and sisters. When you know how deeply you're loved. There was an old school cat named John Owen who once said this. He says to Christians, the greatest burden you could ever lay on the Father is to not believe that he loves you. That's the greatest slight you could ever make to God is to not believe that he loves you. But the more and more you digest this truth, It's like food, you got to take it in, you got to chew it, and then you got to swallow and digest it and then metabolize it. That's what it's like with the love of the Father. You must begin to digest this love. And the more you digest this love, the more it gets into your ways and into your mind and your heart and into your practices, the more it shows up in brotherly love. And so the invitation tonight is to come home to his love. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at on the spectrum tonight, you are welcomed home by the Father. And Jesus is the proof of that welcome. And so, as an action item, I want you to think about the ways in which you envision God being toward you. What If you had to draw a picture, a face of God In in terms of how he is toward you or how he responds to you, would would that be a smile? Would it be a wrinkled forehead? Would it be a frown? Would it be anger? How do you envision God looks at you? Here's the deal. God looks at you with joy and delight, with his smile, because he sees you in union with Jesus Christ by faith. He can no sooner stop loving you than he can stop loving his son Jesus. He can no sooner give up on you than he can give up on his son, Jesus. All those who are united to Jesus experience the father like Jesus experienced the father. Perfectly loved and delighted in. And when that begins to settle into your soul more and more, it will show up in the way that you reflect that back to your brothers and sisters. To show them the father's love through your love to give them a taste of the Father's welcome through your welcome. Welcome is one of the greatest gifts that we have to offer as God's people. Welcome to the people that don't deserve it. Welcome to the people that are on the margins. Welcome to the people that should be kept out. Welcome to the people who are dirty and have bad reputations. Welcome. That's what this story is about. So let's pray that the Lord works this into our hearts and works this into our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this, this beautiful story that, that leads us to what you are like toward us. And we ask that you would help us to believe. Help our unbelief. We pray that you would help us to come home. Many of us for the first time, Lord, would you help us to come home to your love. Knowing that there's nothing so bad that we have done that we can't come home. And there's nothing so good that we have done that we don't need to come home. So, Lord, bless these students, these leaders, to live in light of your love, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.